This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 421. So many leaders, they see change as a nuisance. They see change as something to be avoided. I'm in the camp that changes your job as a leader. Are you working harder than ever, but struggling to make progress? Well, you can escape the quicksand of busyness, distraction, and complexity starting today. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where I believe that if you want to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. Today, we're going to be joined by author and second-time Read to Lead guest, Mark Miller. He's author of a brand new book called Smart Leadership, Four Simple Choices to Scale Your Impact. I'll be asking Mark about how to create margin in your life and why it's so important, why managing your time is really about managing your energy, the role of curiosity in maintaining relevance and vitality in a changing world, and plenty more. Hey, if you're hearing this before Cinco de Mayo, May 5th, 2022, and it's not yet 8 p.m. Eastern Time, you still have time to join me for an informal workshop on note-taking. This is an area that's really struck a chord with my email newsletter readers lately. And so Thursday evening, May 5th, 2022, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, we're going to get together and talk about how to best capture notes, organize your notes, distill your notes, uh, and ultimately express your notes from all these inputs that are coming your way, taking these inputs and organizing them and distilling them in such a way that they become useful and maybe even sometimes life-changing outputs. I'll also be spending some time talking about the centralized hub that I use that kind of brings it all together. If that sounds interesting to you, then join us Thursday night, May 5th, 2022, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern time by simply going to this URL, readtoleadpodcast.com slash notes. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash notes. That's where you want to go again, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern time, Thursday, Cinco de Mayo, May 5th, 2022. I hope to see you there. If, however, May 5th has already passed you by, just shoot me an email, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com, and I'll send you a link to a recording of the workshop. That's jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Mark Miller is Vice President of High Performance Leadership at Chick-fil-A, a best-selling author and a highly sought-after speaker. His career has largely been devoted to serving leaders, helping them grow themselves, their team, and their organizations. His own organization, Chick-fil-A, does about $17 billion in business every single year. His new book is called Smart Leadership, Four Simple Choices to Scale Your Impact. Well, it is my delight and pleasure to welcome him back. First had uh, Mark on to talk about his last book, Win Every Day. Uh, the new one, Smart Leadership, Four Simple Choices to Scale Your Impact. Uh, Mark, welcome back to the Read to Lead podcast. Well, thank you. It's always great to be with you. This is my first chance to publicly thank you for writing a blurb and endorsement for, for my book that came out last year. So, so thank you for, for taking the time to do that. I know you're a busy guy. Well, I loved it. Loved it. I'm excited that it's getting some traction out in the marketplace. Well, early on in, in your book, you address this deliberate choice you made, I think you called it, to use the word scale uh, in, in the subtitle, four simple choices to scale your impact. Talk a bit about what went into that choice. 
Well, I, I have worked with publishers over the years that have convinced me that the title may be the hook, but the subtitle is the promise. Mm. And I know that's not universally embraced, but I always try to think, what, what is the promise? Mm. And as we'll unpack here in the next few minutes, we actually believe that we have discovered, might be too strong a term, we've identified mm. things that men and women do who have more impact than most people. And we said, well, let's try to build that into the promise. The word scale specifically, exponential growth in a short period of time. I know that men and women leaders can build impact over generations. I've tried to do that. You're trying to do that. And that's all good. But I want to know, can we can we jumpstart that process? Can we can we take them from from zero to 60 really, really fast? And then they can continue to build momentum, uh, grow their influence for the rest of their life. But I don't I don't want to put this on a slow burn. I want to help leaders as quickly as possible uh, see a significant increase in their impact. Mm. Something that I touch on probably too briefly in my book as it impacts reading is something that you spend and thankfully ample time on in this book. And, and that's what the research has led you to conclude with regard to the effects of the internet on, on the way we function and the way we think. What conclusions have you come to in light of that? Well, I think there's a growing consensus that new and different forms of communications have always changed human beings. Mm. This one seems to have had disproportionate impact and effect. It's actually rewiring our brains. Nicholas Carr did a book that was nominated for the Pulitzer called The Shallows, and he has since updated that book. And it's just changing the way we read. It's changing the way we think. It's changing our attention span. It's creating more and more distractions. Distractions is one of the problems that we think is impeding leadership effectiveness. Mm. And we can't put all of that on technology. But pre-pandemic, our research indicated that the typical user is swiping, clicking and liking 2,617 times a day. Wow. And that there's 432,000 hours of new content uploaded to YouTube every day. No wonder I can't watch all the cat videos, right? I mean, just think about just the volume and then the ubiquity because you've got so many hundreds of millions across the billion user mark of this technology. And then just to cap it off is the effects of distractions in general, which of course, social media is a big part of that. Again, this was all pre-pandemic. We started this book before the world went crazy or it went crazier yeah. and if you were an office worker pre-pandemic, you were interrupted on average every three minutes. Mm. The, the fundamental problem with that, there may be several, mm. but, but the psychologists tell us that it takes on average 20 minutes to regain the level of focus and mental acuity that you had before the interruption. Mm. So by extension, if you're interrupted every three minutes, you can go through an entire workday without the focus that you walked in with as that day began. So social media is part of that, but it's part of a bigger story of complexity, busyness, distractions. There's just a lot of stuff impeding a leadership's, uh, leadership effectiveness. Well, let's talk about what some of those other things are, and then we'll, we'll spend to more positive topics here in a moment. But some of them are common and maybe sometimes not so obvious obstacles on our quest for more impact. 
And sort yeah. of cu- coupled with that, uh, you talk about the fact that, that we are the villains. It's not about us against the element so much. It's us against ourselves. Let me connect those two ideas. When we started, we said we want to help leaders raise their level of effectiveness. We thought effectiveness was the lever to scale the impact. Mm-hmm. So that's what we started chasing. We immediately began to find all these obstacles. Some of them I just mentioned. And then we started talking to leaders about the obstacles and the barriers and the impediments. And we had a significant number of leaders that said, I understand all that, but that's not my problem. And so we changed the question. We said, what's impeding your effectiveness? What's keeping you from scaling your impact? And they gave us a different list because they pretty much said, I hear all that other stuff, but my list includes fear, fatigue, aimlessness, Mm. even success. And so we lumped all of that, that first list and the second list together. And we said the metaphor we're going to use is quicksand. And when you're in quicksand, you only have three options. You can either sink, which is is not good because you die. I mean, even if you don't die physically in our little uh, metaphor here, mm-hmm. your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations are extinguished. Mm-hmm. Or what most leaders do is they keep swimming. Well, Okay, I mean, that might fit the mindset and the psyche of a leader. Just, you know, keep doing what you do and the going gets tough, the tough get going and all that stuff. But you're never going to do your best work. And it's exhausting. And I think that's part of what leads to people quitting. I think this great resignation that everybody's talking about, some are putting a very uh, positive spin on it. And it's men and women who have discovered their true purpose and it's not in their current role. I'm sure that's some of it. I think a lot of it is just people are wearing themselves out and their organizations are wearing them out. Mm-hmm. So you can sink, you can swim, which is not sustainable, or you can escape. So to your specific question, this book was about what are the impediments? But we realized there were a lot of men and women we met along the way. They either weren't in quicksand or if they ever found themselves in it, they got out really fast. Mm. So therefore, the villain is not the quicksand. The villain is us, because Mm. if there's a way out and we don't take it, it's on us. And so the book became about what do the men and women do that rise above all this craziness to still have huge levels of impact. And so that's what we ended up studying. I love that you you were willing to shift gears there when you when you saw things going a different direction. Well, we always every project we've done over the years, we try to start with truth mm. and, and a and a heartfelt, legitimate search for truth. We don't even start with a with a thesis generally. You know, pretty quickly here we said, ooh, the problem is all this stuff, but it wasn't. So so we're always trying to figure out what's true, and then we'll try to figure out what to do with it. There's a chapter called Your Real Superpower, and uh, we're, we're, we're dancing around what that is, but we'll dig into that more deeply in a moment. But in that chapter, you talk about some of the things we need to be aware of that impact our decisions that some we may instinctively know and others may not be so obvious. Can you, can you unpack some of those? Yeah, let me let me let me go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. So maybe this will make more sense in context. I'm working on a graphic novel right now hmm. uh, to take some of my actually a couple of them to take some of my old content, create a new story, new format, trying to reach a different audience. Oh, I think you wrote about that in here, didn't you? Didn't you mention? I probably mentioned it because I'm 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 fascinated by that, yeah. and I'm, I have the privilege of working with a gentleman who's a former creative director at Marvel, and so. 
it's it's been a great partnership, but I missed most of that growing up. And so I'm, he's been trying to school me and catch me up. I've been watching Marvel movies. He and I have been to a comic book store. I mean, all the kind of stuff you would expect. Yeah. And when we were working on the concept for the story, we were talking about superpowers, right? If you're going to have superheroes, then they're going to have superpowers. Well, I was also working on this project and it, it hit me that every human being has at least one superpower. And it's the ability to make choices, it's the ability to make choices. And that is, in fact, the construct that we'll explore in a moment that we believe there are four smart choices that help leaders get out and stay out of the quicksand. But to your specific question, there's so many things that impact our choices. Again, the psychologists tell us that we make about 35,000 remotely conscious choices every day. Well, that's I can't I can't deal with that. I mean, I'm I'm. I tend to fixate on the remotely conscious, right? Because right. They're, they're trivial choices, they're, they're habits, they're any number of different categories or buckets that you could put these choices in. And they're affected by bias, known and unknown. They're affected by our childhood. They're affected by our environment. They're impacted by all these different, our past successes, our past failures. Mm. And there's just a lot of stuff impacting that 35,000, our, our personality, our temperament. I mean, you can make a long, long list. But the book focuses on the smart choices and the way we identified those or the way we define that is there are those choices that take a little more time, energy and effort. They require a little more focus. We have to be a little more deliberate, a little more intentional, but they yield a disproportionate return. Mm. You've probably heard of the concept of keystone habits. A keystone habit creates other positive ripple effects. Well, these are keystone choices. And so that's what we decided to build the book around. And it's a, it's a virtuous cycle too, right? That is correct. Even yeah. though there are four choices, you're, you're always making the choices and they're yeah. interconnected. So there's, yeah. it's not a process map necessarily because they're always in play, but there is a sequence that makes sense. Mm. Well, let's, let's, let's take them in order here. Let's start with the, the confront reality choice. You say you meet leaders all the time who are not confronting reality. What have been some of their responses over the years as to why? I have asked that question of many, 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 many leaders, but I never personalize. I mm. say, do you know a leader who's been unwilling to confront reality? <laughs> I did it again this morning with a group. And every one of them said, of course, I, now I never say, are you that leader? No, no, we'll <laughs> let them draw their own conclusions. And when you ask them why, it's a long list. People, it, it's fear, it's pride, it's ego. Most of these things aren't good, right? They're out of touch. They're disengaged. It's like, wow. I mean, leaders that value position over contribution. I mean, there, there are just any number of reasons and they're not good because until a leader can lead based on truth and from a position of strength, they'll never be their best. They'll never be their best. This is probably not most important of the four choices, but it is it is foundational, right? If you're not leading from a position of truth, you, you'll you'll never lead well. What what does that look like in in practice? I guess is is the next question. Well, just a couple of quick things, because th there's a lot we could talk about. We need a cup of coffee someday. and We'll sit and talk about all these <laughs> things. Um, 
it, it be, I'm going to say this probably four times. It begins with a choice. You have to have a leader with the level of self-awareness, the level of intentionality mm. to say, I understand the merit and value of confronting reality. So you, you, you have to start there. And then I think it's very helpful to identify the various domains where you would like to confront reality. Now, you would probably say, well, everything and everywhere. Well, sure. But create some buckets. I think that would be helpful. How about your leadership? What's true about your leadership? What's true about your team? What's true about your relationships? What's true about your health? What's true about your finances? Mm. So forth and so on. And then once you have some areas identified, I'd pick one where you think, maybe I don't have the clarity that I need. And then to really get serious about pursuing and confronting reality in that area. Mm. My favorite strategy in this area is to find fresh eyes because we all have blind spots. I mean, I think we want to live a life as, as humans and, and particularly as leaders so that our blind spots are as small as possible, but they still exist. And so I want to bring people around me and I would encourage other leaders to do the same. I call them fresh eyes, people that'll tell you the truth, that'll challenge your bias you know, that won't be intimidated by you. And, and they'll just be truth tellers. Now, as I've talked to leaders about this, they say, well, what does that look like? So really quick, you could have a personal board of director. You could have a mentor. You could have a coach. You could hire consultants. You could uh, create a peer group or mastermind group. I'm, I'm with a group of guys I've been with for 23 years studying the topic of leadership. Wow. We meet twice a month, typically two and a half to three hours, twice a month for 23 years. They provide fresh eyes, all kind of tactics, but it begins with that choice that I'm going to confront reality. And then when you want to confront reality, you can find reality. Mm. I wish I'd been smart enough to have a group like that for 23 years. I've had one for about 10 years, but not <laughs> quite 23. Well, in a decade, you'll be caught, with, caught up with me. That'll be great. <laughs> yeah, it's, the, it's the, the thing I call assemble your advisors. Yeah, I think that's very, very important. Uh, smart choice number two, grow capacity to meet the demands of the moment and the challenges of the future. Talk a bit about this one. There are leaders that probably know how to get out of the quicksand mm. and they don't have the energy to get out of the quicksand. So one of the areas I think the best leaders focus on is growing their energy, their mm. personal energy. And of course, there's nothing really new here. How much sleep are you getting? What are you eating? How much water? How much exercise? How much recreation? Do you have life-giving relationships? So it almost felt like an obligatory, you gotta, so there's some in there because you, you need to steward your energy. Mm -hmm. But there are other leaders that they've got capacity trouble because their calendar's out of hand and they need to grow capacity by taking a hard look at their calendar. Some of your leaders are probably my age and they remember a guy named Peter Drucker who I think was the greatest management and leadership thinker of the last 2000 years. He wrote a lot. One of his books is called The Effective Executive. And he wrote 50 years ago that he didn't know a knowledge worker. That's me and you and your listeners. He doesn't know a knowledge worker that couldn't eliminate 25% of the things on their calendar with no ill effect. Mm. Now, I don't know if that number is true today, but most leaders can eliminate something on their calendar. And when they do, They've created capacity. Again, several more ideas. I'll give you one more, which is actually my favorite. It's the most counterintuitive and controversial idea in the entire book. The best leaders grow capacity 
by putting margin in their lives, intentionally putting margin in their lives. And I, I have had all kind of responses to that. I mean, people just telling me I'm crazy. And mm. I, I got that. I mean, somebody said, I don't have time for a vacation. I said, well, I'm not, you may or may not need a vacation based on your response. You, you might, but I'm not debating whether you need a vacation. I'm talking about margin as a leadership discipline. I said, let me ask you this. When do you intentionally have time scheduled to reflect, to assess, to think, to create, and to plan? Like, <laughs> who's going to do that if you don't, right? But if you're the leader, right. a recent study out of Harvard, they, they looked at the calendars of CEOs for 12 years, an amazing longitudinal study. They found the average CEO spends 28% of their time every week alone. Wow. Well, well gosh, they're busy. They're important. <laughs> Why are they doing that? Mm. Because they understand they need to reflect, to assess, to think, to create, and to plan. And so then people say, well, how much time do I need? I don't know how much time you need. Uh, I know a guy that became the president of a multi-billion dollar company. He was already practicing the discipline of margin and he doubled the amount of margin in his life when he became the president of a multi-billion dollar company. So what I tell people is the bigger your dreams, the bigger your vision, the bigger your challenge, the bigger your problems, the bigger your opportunity, the more time you need in margin. It is when you add the most value, but time alone is when a leader adds the most value to their organizations. And that is so counterintuitive. It's so <laughs> countercultural. So I challenge people, find two hours next week. If this is not part of your life and routine, find two hours and put a meeting with me. Mm. And when somebody wants that time, you say, oh, look, I'm, I'm sorry. I've already got a commitment. I've already got a meeting schedule. And I'm guessing I'm going to get thank you notes from leaders all over the world. I've already started to hear a little bit of this, that I gave them permission to do something that they were craving. They knew they weren't leading well, and they didn't know why. For some leaders, this is going to be the unlock. I, I know of companies, uh, Mark, who uh, during the pandemic, and the pandemic was what sort of initiated it, but then they've kept doing this. I know one in particular, uh, Michael Hyatt and company. One of the things they did was they shortened their workday and began sending people home or letting people sort of end the workday an hour and a half or something earlier. They ended up being more productive. I talked with Megan, the CEO last year, and it actually increased productivity. There's that, that Parkinson's law or principle, I think it is, it says work expands to the time allotted, right? And yeah. if we don't put frameworks and parameters around what we're doing, we'll, we'll just take however long to do it, right? <laughs> yeah. And I, and I have heard others with similar experiments and I, and I applaud their courage and creativity. My cautionary note is if people feel they have less time to do their work, you could actually squeeze out March mm. because, ooh, I've got two or four less hours next week. Man, I was going to spend a half a day thinking I'm, I can't because mm. I've got less time. So I think you've still got to layer what they are talking about with this idea of some of whatever your work week looks like. Mm -hmm. it, you still have to have that that discipline of margin if you're going to lead well. I do not know how a leader could lead to their full potential and create their maximum impact on the world without margin. It showed up in all the research for thousands of years, the best leaders. It's crazy. I mean, it's just over and over and over. Once, once we stumbled on it, we started pulling the thread. It's like, it's kind of a secret that the best leaders have always known. Margin is the leader's time machine. Once you enter margin, you can look 
to the past to extract whatever lessons and principles and learnings from that point in that undistracted time. You can look at last week, last month, last year, or the last century for truth that you want to then take into the future. And you can, you can project yourself into your preferred future. And what are we going to have to do to make that a reality? Only in margin do you have that capacity to, to, to scale time. Smart choice number three, then, is, is fuel curiosity. This is one of my favorites, in part because it involves, among other things, lifelong learning or at least that mindset. What, what does understanding this concept help do for, for our future? Well, here was my insight. I had a lot, I mean, as with each of these projects, but folks have been asking me for a long time in one way or another, is there a leadership fountain of youth? <laughs> and what I used to say is I hope so. Mm. And I'm looking for it. I felt like Ponce de Leon. I'm looking for it. Because I want to add value to my last breath. Mm. Well, now I say I found it. Our mm. team found it. The fountain of youth for leaders is curiosity. It enables us to maintain relevance and vitality in a changing world. And it's the, it's the precursor or traveling companion to creativity, which leaders need more of. That's another <laughs> topic for another day. Right. Yeah, I think it's huge. I, I think I think it can help us future proof our organizations. It can, as I've already mentioned, stave off irrelevance. I think it's huge. And we saw it. That's, I mean, that's one of the things we discovered in this research. The best leaders have committed to lifelong learning. I wrote about that actually in a book that I did with Ken Blanchard almost 20 years ago called Great Leaders Grow. Mm. And we talked about the fact that your capacity to grow determines your capacity to lead. And as long as you can keep growing, you can keep increasing your influence and you can keep increasing your impact. And so this is a good reminder to me and hopefully a challenge to a lot of leaders because I think curiosity, I believe it, it was in all of us when we were little. That's how mm -hmm. we learned to walk and to talk and everything else we know about the world. <laughs> but the world systematically beat it out of us. You're not kidding. And um <laughs> It's now it's almost seen, I think, in most corporate settings as countercultural to be curious. And sometimes it's it's even frowned upon. Uh, it's like, no, just do what do what you're supposed to do kind of thing. And I think I think the world has moved past that and will and will reward leaders and organizations that cultivate a spirit of curiosity. Again, there's been research done just recently out of Harvard that says the more curious a culture, the more successful the organization. Mm. And so I think that trickles down from the leaders. If the leaders aren't modeling this and living this, you can bet the people aren't going to do it either. Mm -hmm. Well, the last smart choice is create change. And Mark writes, create change today to ensure a better tomorrow. You talk a bit in this chapter, uh, there are, I think, three chapters to each concept total about growth mindset. You were talking about growth a moment ago. How does adopting a growth mindset specifically factor into this into this choice? Well, we were trying to get our head and our heart around why some men and women in positions of leadership can't pull the trigger. They, mm. they, they can't create change. I mean, you could even find people that make the first three choices that would be lousy leaders mm. because so many leaders 
at some level, mind-boggling, but they see change as a nuisance. Mm. They see change as something to be avoided. I'm in the camp that changes your job as a leader. <laughs> it is the essence of the job description mm. to create strategic and sustainable positive change. That's, that's the role. And so you say, well, why would some leaders not embrace the essence of their role? And we said, one thing is this the absence of a growth mindset, which is a fixed mindset. This is some work done by Carol Dweck out of Stanford. And it's this belief that if if you're not smart, you're out of luck. If you're not proficient in a particular skill, too bad. It's like all that stuff's fixed. Well, it's not. And, mm. and people who fall into that trap, they may feel like they're not good at leading change or orchestrating change because there's another piece you didn't mention, and that's the internal and external locus of control. Where We're mm. still trying to say, why don't people, leaders, create change and, and make this choice? Internal and external locus of control is, do I believe I can create change or do I see myself as the recipient or the victim of change? So if mm. you combine, this is a toxic mix. If you say, I've got a fixed mindset, and an external locus of control, it means stuff just happens to me and I just have to tolerate it. Mm. And so you got to get past that if you're going to create change. You've got to believe you can learn and grow and you have to believe that you have some agency and you can actually create change. There are a number of questions that I could ask you uh, <laughs> about this book and unpack even more. I want to get to some questions not directly related to the book in the time we have left, but is there anything else from the book that I didn't ask that you would like to add? Every choice has to be activated. So to say you're going to fuel curiosity or any of the choices mm. and just have an intellectual assent to that concept will have absolutely no value, which is why you mentioned there are multiple chapters. The chapters are tactics and best practices. You know, on fuel curiosity, are you going to ask don't tell. Are you going to ask more questions? Or are you going to talk with strangers? Are you going to have these curiosity conversations? So every choice has to be activated. I think that's the first thing I would say. Mm. And then maybe the last thing is that every leader has this superpower. It's something we can do. And our choices give us agency. They give us responsibility and they give us some accountability. This book won't teach you to lead. This is for leaders who need to be more effective. They need to get out of the quicksand. It's like a major league pitcher that can't hit the strike zone. You're already a pitcher. Your value's already been established. You're being paid by somebody, but you can't hit the strike zone. This book is about helping leaders do what they know to do. I got other resources. You've got resources to teach them how to lead. This is, this is how to scale your impact once you're a leader. And I want, I want to be real clear. That's the promise of this book. Well, as I have interviewed people like you over these last nine years, I've managed to, it's been about 420 something. I've managed to identify a few personal habits that I think many of them have in common. Uh, they don't necessarily do all of them, but most do to some degree. And I was delighted uh, to see you talk about some specifically in your book to confirm some of that. I I'm going to skip those. I'm going to touch on some, <laughs> of, the, some of the others uh, since we've talked about some of those already. Um, this first idea, and, and you may have addressed this actually in your book now that I think about it. The, the first idea is this idea of dancing with discomfort, of leaning into it, of, of understanding the value of getting outside your comfort zone. Uh, in, in your view, how important is, is it that we practice that on and not just practice it, period. I think that's important, but on a regular basis. 
I think the best leaders are comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. One of the things I say about change is it's, if it's substantive change, it's always hard. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, 90 plus percent of the people in your organization don't like change. So if you're a leader, you have signed up for a job to get 90% of your people to go somewhere and do something and create a change that they are fundamentally opposed to. (laughs) So if you don't like discomfort, Mm. then you don't need to be a leader. Somebody's always going to be unhappy with Mm. a leader. I think some people fall into that trap of trying to make everybody happy. I don't think that's good in life. I think it is deadly for a leader to try to make everybody happy. It's not going to happen. And it's not your job to make everybody happy. It's to create strategic, sustainable, positive change. That's what you're trying to do. And somebody's always going to be unhappy with that. So you've got to get comfortable with that discomfort for sure. Yeah. Um, It's no surprise that I'm a big proponent of reading with intention and with consistency and sort of a two-pronged question here, maybe a book recommendation or two uh, over the last couple of years since we've last spoken that has uh, been impactful on you or to you, and maybe any tips you practice for, for reading with consistency, or does it just come naturally to you to do that? One of the disciplines that, that I discovered, you mentioned you wish you'd started your group 25 years ago. Mm. I have really, over the last five, six, seven years, leaned into Audible. Mm-hmm. And I know different people have different views like of listening to a book versus traditional reading of a book. Yeah. But what I have found is that's a great screening mechanism for me. And then a lot of the things that I listen to, I'll actually go back and get a book, take the book, highlight the book and do things like that. So for some leaders that might, and I was doing it in drive time pre-COVID, I could do a book a week, just driving back and forth to the office. Mm. Uh, So that was kind of a discipline, a habit. I'm in the car, I'd, I'd put on a book. Another thing for me that is probably not ideal, but I'm trying now to publish a book every year which that's probably not ideal. I'm not (laughs) suggesting that to anybody. That's another story for another day. But in order to do that, it dictates and drives much of my reading. So some of the discipline is self, I mean, it's imposed by my deadlines. So we're working on a project right now on culture. I'm reading a lot of books on culture. I guess you would consider that an extrinsic motivation, Mm -hmm. but nonetheless, maybe low motives are better than no motives. I don't know if that's true or not. So that's part of what keeps my reading alive. And then the last thing is I am part of that group that I mentioned for all those years. And part of my role in that group is to select content. And so I'm reading so that I can serve others. It's like, I'm not just reading for me. I'm reading Mm. on behalf of others. So those are some of the things that help me. Uh, You ask about a specific book. I'm going to recommend one that's not new. In fact, it's, older than most of your listeners. I just finished, and I think this was my second pass through the book Endurance by Mm -hmm. Alfred Lansing. It's the story of Ernest Shackleton's Antarctic adventure. One of the most amazing feats in the history of mankind was what Shackleton and his team did in Antarctica. For those that don't know that story, the book's probably 50 years old. And it is extremely well written. Alfred actually used the diaries of the 
people that were on the ship. And because it was written 50 years ago, some of them were still alive. So he actually interviewed the men from the expedition mm. and then had diaries from 28 men. And it is, it is exceptionally well-written. And I'm doing a profile in my new book on Shackleton because of the way he intentionally built the culture of the endurance, which was the name of the, the ship. It's, it's a good culture book, but it's going to feel like a history book, but it, it's a culture story. Well, the new book, and I highly recommend it. I've got all my little blue tabs here uh, that I've used to mark pages I want to go back to. It's called Smart Leadership, Four Simple Choices to Scale Your Impact. His name is Mark Miller. Uh, Mark, thank you again so much for your time today and for sharing with us about your new book. It's my pleasure. Great to see you. Ways to get in touch with Mark, the books he recommended, and of course, his own book. All of that can be found at the show notes page for this episode, readtoleadpodcast.com slash 421 for episode 421. Remember, if it's before May 5th, 2022, and you're hearing this, join us for my note-taking workshop and the tools I use to bring all my notes together. That's Thursday, May 5th, 2022, beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern time. You can find us in the Zoom room by going to readtoleadpodcast.com slash notes. And if you're hearing this after May 5th, 2022, send me an email, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com, and I'll shoot you the link to a recording of that workshop. Next week, we'll be sitting down with author Jordan Rayner and talking about his new book, Redeeming Your Time. His book is one of my all-time favorites on the subject of productivity, and I think you're really going to like it. Again, that's next week on the Read to Lead podcast. Well, that does it for this time. Hope to see you next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.